Good morning, everybody. It's a joy to be here on this Mother's Day to celebrate the goodness and grace of God and also by sharing the Word of God with you. I just want to give a little preamble to before the sermon. Um, this is, we're going to take a break from 1 Samuel and I'm going to talk about abortion and I'm going to talk about the sanctity of life. Um, I suppose it's been a long time coming and uh, this is something that is on most people's minds these days. It's very political. I wanted to do something where it's not addressing necessarily the political side. If you do want to do it, uh, you can check out our podcast, which comes out every Monday, and then you can see some, you know, the Christian worldview and how we address it politically. However, today, this morning, I really wanted to get into the Word and see what the Word of God has to say on life and on babies. And so, if you would, uh, let's pray before we begin. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant to all of us that our hearts, being free from worldly things, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, that we may rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all our hearts. To your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 139. Psalm 139. We won't read the whole psalm. Uh, we'll focus on this particular section from verses 13 to 18. You can find that in the Pew Bible in front of you on page 488. But there are other select passages that we'll be going through this morning. Uh, keep your Bibles open. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 18. When you have found it, please rise in reverence for God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand, I awake, and I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. Again, I just wanted to remind you that we'll be going through a bunch of select passages from the Bible, so keep them open. Uh, today we take a quick break from 1 Samuel to address a topic that has been headlining most of our media stories and posts. Uh, I wanted to address the issue of abortion, but at the same time, I wanted to tell you that it's really not about simply the fierce polemic against abortion. It's about something much bigger than that. And it's quite the happenstance that it falls on Mother's Day in 2022, but then again, there are no such thing as coincidences. 
I come into today's sermon knowing that there are many, perhaps even some here, that have had abortions, or you know someone that has had an abortion. And I would like to address this first before I go on any further. If you are a mother that has had an abortion, there is only one hope for you. If you are a father that has let your child get aborted, there is only one hope for you. The only option you have, or for any of us for that matter, is that you repent and turn from your previous wicked ways and fall upon the foot of the cross for mercy. Otherwise, God's judgment is already upon you where your baby will join in crying out against you. And I pray sincerely from the bottom of my heart that you know this hope because Jesus Christ is merciful beyond what you could have ever hoped for, dreamed of, or imagined. It was a few years ago at a cafe nearby where a young sister here in this congregation, and I like telling the story and she always gets embarrassed when I tell it, but I don't mention her by name. But if you look around, you'll probably see her face. Uh, but when a young woman here in this congregation asked me why I don't preach on abortion, she shared with me on how she was pro-choice all her life and recently came under the conviction that this was not pleasing to God. She was now pro-life. And I have my own reasons for not addressing every political headline of the day from the pulpit. I do truly believe that it is the week in and week out of preaching God's word, God's holy word, that changes and transforms the sinner's heart. But that conversation, among many others, have stayed with me throughout my pastoral tenure here at the church gathered and scattered. In fact, Many more women have come up to me asking me to address it in the variety of platforms I held, but not so much the men, and I would say this to their shame. And I also pray that after the sermon, this will no longer be the case. The sermon, however, isn't only about the killing of the unborn. It's about the life of the unborn. It's about the life of babies. There's more I'd like to address, again, especially on the question of how we address it politically and so on, what kind of worldview we can tackle on every single thing that is thrown against this idea that babies are precious and babies have a right to life, babies have dignity, and babies have the image of God, but that will be covered again more on the podcast rather than here. I want to go through some Bible passages with you all this morning. Now, in the particular psalm that was read this morning, David is writing about this intensely personal nature of his relationship with God. Over and over again, the Hebrew word, the emphatic you, Y-O-U, the emphatic you is written to convey that it is God who is the subject of this psalm. You know you discern, you search, you hem me in. By the time we get to verse 6, the psalmist already so overwhelmed that he says such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And then we get to this passage that was read today. It continues with this emphatic you to start with you formed or you created me. The emphasis is on God 
Who created you? Who formed you? It was God. God formed your inward parts. And the word inward parts literally means kidneys. It means your innermost being. God created you all the way down to your most inward parts. And it says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. If the innermost parts were created by God in the first half of this verse, now the outer parts were also knitted and created by God. And where does he choose to do this? Inside your mother's womb. Each and every single one of us that's here today knows that this is true. This is how we were put together by God inside our mother's womb. Just this knowledge alone harkens back to verse 6, where David would exclaim that such knowledge is too wonderful for him. And in the next verse, he erupts in praise because he knows that, thereby I know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, with the increase of knowledge in science and technology, that hasn't decreased that fear and wonder. Now with ultrasound technology, you can actually see the stages and development of every child. In fact, this is what my wife has also told me to do and to go and see in the ultrasound how our baby looked. When the baby looked like me, she started laughing and then she showed pictures to other people and they started laughing too. I don't know what's so funny, but apparently if someone looks like me, it's funny. But we know that by the end of the fourth week, the beginning of the fifth, after fertilization, a tiny heart tube starts to beat at 65 times a minute. And by the time we get to week six, you could actually hear it with the technology that we have. There's a journalist called Steve Jacobs, and he wrote a dissertation on abortion for his PhD in the University of Chicago. And it was a 300-page dissertation. You can always look it up and download it and read it if you want to. Love doing stuff like that, especially if you say you have your PhD. Was able to do it for the first lady as well. But he took the time to ask 5,577 biologists when human life began. And if they affirm that human life begins at fertilization, 96% affirmed that human life begins at fertilization. You don't need to be a biologist to know that, though. David acknowledges that creation is existential. It is God who creates life. And with the exception of just two people, every other human person to have ever existed came forth in this manner. And the two people that are the exception is Adam. First was Adam, the Lord God, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We find that in Genesis 2.7. And the second human was Eve, whom he fashioned out of Adam. And so Eve was fashioned out of Adam, and then Eve was to become the mother of all humans. Every single human thereafter has been born in this manner, out of mothers. It is a truly wonderful work that we witness when we meditate on God's creative power. And David admits that he knows this very well. His soul knows this very well. The knowledge of God's handiwork in your life is a deeply personal knowledge. 
In verse 15, being made in secret, intricately being woven in the depths of the earth is a metaphor for the deepest concealment, the hiddenness of the womb. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so all these verses show that God creates life. Not only does he create life, and because he creates life, he gives life purpose. You all, each and every single one of you, are created, handmade by God, with purpose. All the days of David's life were written in the book of life, and each of his days are numbered. In Psalm 90, 12, the psalmist also says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Know that your days are limited, and there is a reason for it. Find that reason. Find that purpose. Just reflecting on the sheer magnificence of God's power in creation and his concern for creation, the psalmist exclaims then afterwards that the thoughts of God are too glorious, too numerous, too grand for someone to fully grasp. But these thoughts are fully known to God who created him. With every new day, David gets to enjoy the presence of his creator. And that goes to the point of this passage, who gives worth to a life? Who gives dignity to a life? Is it the mother? Is it the father? No. Dignity and worth are endued by the creator. This is the life that has been given to you. And may we live reflecting on the wonder of his creation, witnessing his glory and power with every new life. There are, however, lusts of the world that have deceived many to carry out sin, deny God's handiwork, and use any and every excuse they can to sin. In James 1, 14 to 15, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Over 63 million children have died in the U.S. by abortion and are still dying because parents and abortion providers have been deceived by the lies of the wicked one, choosing death rather than life. But God calls people everywhere to follow him and not the devil and his schemes. He offers us his commands that by loving him and walking in his ways, you would live and multiply as he has intended for us. He gives us his commandments so that we might live. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 to 20, it says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and, and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. 
In going over the seven things that God hates in Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, you need not go beyond number three to know that God hates abortion. Christians oppose abortion because it is an abomination to the Lord. In Jeremiah 32, 35, it says, They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Moloch. Though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Christians oppose abortion because we are in a spiritual battle against sin, and abortion is sin. And now I'm going to try to continue to frame abortion in this biblical context so that people, so that the people of God may see and be thoroughly equipped to evangelize to those that are on the road to death. May the word of God go out from your mouths that men and women may be saved. For faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. With the prospect of Roe v. Wade being overturned, protests have metastasized everywhere. If once doubted, now it has come into full view, this bloodlust and insatiable desire to shed innocent blood. Just yesterday, a protester held a bundle of baby dolls in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral just across the bridge in Manhattan, where she would mimic through the dolls, pulling out the babies from her body and then tearing them to shreds. Satan has invaded the hiddenness of the womb, and we are seeing as it is being put on full display for us to witness. This concept of killing babies, however, is not a new or modern idea. In ancient Canaan, the people there worshipped an idol that we've read before in Jeremiah named Moloch. And God warns his people time and time again not to engage in the horrific acts in serving Moloch. Moloch is mentioned several times in the Bible with even King Solomon building an altar to Moloch in 1 Kings 11. Serving Moloch was one of the most repulsive acts that God's people can do in his sight. In Leviticus 18.21, he specifically says, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. When you serve Moloch, you make profane the holy name of God. God who is holy, the angels had to cry out three times this superlative, for God is holy, holy, holy. And God is saying, if you offer your children to Moloch, you profane my name. So what did Moloch require? Moloch required the shedding of the innocent blood of babies at the hands of their parents. The blood was shed by burning the child alive in the consuming fire in the hands of the idol. In the 12th century, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchak wrote a commentary on Moloch or Topheth. Moloch and Topheth are the same idols. And this rabbi wrote a commentary on the 12, in the 12th century about Topheth, and he said, quote, Topheth is Moloch, which was made of brass, and when they heated him from his lower parts and his hands being stretched out and made hot, they put the child between his hands and it was burned. When it vehemently cried out, 
but the priest beat the drum that the father may not hear the voice of his son and his heart might not be moved. We see similar practices recorded in the time of the Roman Empire as well. Today, children are sacrificed as well to the gods of this world. Success, career, autonomy, rights, freedom, whatever you want to call it. While the priests beat the drums to drown out the warnings and pleas of the people pointing to the cries of their little ones. I see at least 10 things that are being said by these priests that the people today are mimicking. Things like the baby is not viable, so there is no moral issue. Or it's about the mother's choice and the choice to abort is a valid one. Or if the life is an inconvenience to the mother, it is not only a good thing, but the right thing. Or it's better to abort the child than raise the child without a father. Or abortion isn't about the baby, but it's about exercising my freedom. Or God understands how incredibly difficult this decision is and will understand or even forgive them. No one can tell you what you can do with your body, therefore you should shout your abortion. Uh, No one can judge their decision as God says, judge not lest ye be judged. Or to say that you can't abort isn't focusing on women's health and well-being, which is primary Or something like, it's better to abort the baby if you're not sure you can give the baby a good life. What these ten things and on have in common is that each of them are false. Those who believe it are deceived and are practicing the beliefs of their predecessors who were also deceived by the world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, which we read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. You beat the drums of deceit louder and louder to try and drown out the truth, but the truth will be revealed. And when the truth is revealed, the only way to continue covering up this heinous deed is to use euphemisms where one would willingly keep the veil over their eyes, calling it women's health care or reproductive justice or bodily autonomy, health care masking murder or using the word justice to kill the innocent, or autonomy being confused with life. These rallying cries that you hear on the streets are the cries of the wicked who lead their followers into murdering their own flesh and blood, euphemisms to cover up millions and millions upon millions of deaths, has been used in the past as well, where it's a great leap forward or the cultural revolution, a.k.a. the great proletarian cultural revolution, or now with the genocide of the Uyghurs calling prison camps vocational education training centers, I kid you not. But euphemisms don't change the horror of their murder. It doesn't matter how much you spray perfume on a corpse, and to think that would be pure vain glory. It is the foolish pride of life. And this is what the devil has come to do. In John 10.10, It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And those that participate in these acts are doing exactly what their father, the devil, is doing. And it's your works that define who your father is. If you do the works of the devil, the devil is your father. In John 8, Jesus says this from verses 43 to 45, Why do you not understand what I say? 
It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So now knowing all this, how should we respond? You know, do we join a pro-life group? Do we advocate for laws that limit or restrict abortion? Should we go into government politics and rally as well? Or should we start a support group for mothers? None of these ideas, as well-intended as they are, will work, though. Programs, government involvement, all these things are secondary, and they will never solve the real problem, because at the root of the problem is pride, lust, and sin. You won't defeat Satan with politics or programs. Sin is defeated by a person whose name is Jesus Christ. The ultimate defeat of abortion and all sin comes from the one who bore my sin on the cross, shedding his blood, dying for me. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is what the apostles writes, imploring his readers just in the verse before, to reconcile themselves to God. Reconcile yourselves to God. Christ came to save the murderer, the one who is held captive by the devil. He has come to set free the one who is deceived and has given themselves into or to the pride of life. Some may respond, well, there are false notions like that out there, but we shouldn't be so aggressive or so assertive about this because, you know, Jesus was winsome after all. But as I've read in John before, Jesus calls people evil, sons of the devil. Why? Why does he use such extreme language so that he could set them free? The rest of the verse from John 10.10 10, is this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. How can sinners, murderers, evil men and women receive life and be set free? There is only one hope. There is only one way. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It's through Christ God gives you a new heart so that now you can follow him. In Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. How do you defeat abortion? The church must never stop proclaiming the whole counsel of God, his holiness, righteousness, glory, sacrifice, redemption, and salvation. In other words, we must proclaim Christ to a lost and dying world. And as saved lives, we must live out the lives he commanded us to live out, lives that are worthy of the call that we have been given. As lost souls are saved, 
children's lives are saved. As lost souls are saved, abortion doctors will have no more work. As lost lives are saved, we see sin losing its grip and being finally defeated with Christ's second coming. I've gone over through a lot of verses, but I want to read a longer passage as we end this message this morning with you. And that's from Ephesians chapter 4, and you can turn to it with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to verse 32. And this is what it means to have a life that has been changed for God. A life that has their eyes open, their ears now hearing the truth. A life that has been empowered to live out what God has commanded. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Now, I, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. It doesn't matter how much we argue. It doesn't matter how much you debate. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. This is why you need a new heart to understand. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, and the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is not the standards of the world that we're talking about here. This is the standard of God that God imputes to us by Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit, we get to live more and more daily. Our minds are being transformed more and more every day. Every time we listen to the word being proclaimed, the Spirit of God is changing our hearts because we have a new life in us. In verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. There is no time to continue the lies or deceit. It's time to speak up. And this is what Paul is telling the Ephesian church. For we are members of one another. Members meaning not just holding some membership. Members mean we are part of this one body of Christ together. There is no separation here. There is no individualism here. We are together in this. In verse 26, he continues, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And this is where Paul is saying, if you were once a sinner, you have now been empowered to, because you have sin defeated by the power of Christ so that you can now live in the way Christ commands you to do so. The thief should no longer steal. People who sin should no longer sin, but live and walk in righteousness. In verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And this, right before I read the last one, this is one thing I point out over and over again. The ways of the world. Do you know what? how you know you are continuing to follow the ways of the world? Because you continue to grow not in joy, not in thanksgiving, not in gratitude, not in worship, but you grow in bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. The anger grows. All these movements that's supposed to be good for you that's supposed to help the world, that's supposed to bring justice. Look at all these worldly movements. The anger and bitterness just grow. Where's the thanksgiving? How can you have thanksgiving? You can't without God. And so by the Spirit of God, you are sealed away. And he is changing you day by day. This is called sanctification. He's changing your understanding, your mind, to understand the ways of the Lord by his incredible grace. And in verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We cover each other now in love. We proclaim the truth, and we cover each other with love, and we stir one another up in love to do good works. That's what God calls us to do. So now what? So now what? Satan is bound. Christ is on his throne. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says this, and he gives us then the great commission afterwards in Matthew 28. Go therefore. Now what? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Never forget your commission. As Christians, you make Christ known and call others to repentance. Christ is then glorified. Souls will be saved. The devil will be resisted. And thus he will flee. And children that were once on the path to death will live. Molech's days are numbered. And God will put an end to all the arrogance of the proud. And praise be to God. Let's pray.